0: What's up, everybody? It's Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. What's going on, man?
1: Man, happy to be here. You know, when we take a week off sometimes, you know, you know, I'm like Tyrone Biggums, I start scratching my neck. I miss it.
0: <laughs> yeah, we, we did take it off. And I'm going to get right into it. Like, uh, Okay, so we took it off when arguably the biggest story of the year in hip hop unfolded, right? I I would say that so far, the biggest stories have been in no particular order. Locks versus Dipset. Right. Yeah. Uh, Kanye dropping Donda, Drake dropping certified lover boy and the interplay between the two of them uh i'd say is another set of big ones anything else anything yeah else? i
1: mean the big elephants in the room are of course you know dmx shock g you know hip-hop's list of, of folks that are passing away and i don't think there will be a bigger story in 2021 and i'll go to the mat for this than you know the loss of dmx true um,
0: true I, and and you know it, it, it definitely it, and it I probably might live it, in different compartments completely different compartments yeah i don't mean deaths right deaths always like um sadly overshadow everything I mean, in terms of like events uh, about things that people are doing within the culture, you know what I mean? Um, And I would say, and so that the one that we haven't mentioned is the Kanye interview with drink champs. So anything of the, of the non-death material, anything you would say that's bigger than that, would you say locks versus dipset was bigger or this?
1: No, I, you know, bigger, in, in its, its like uh, reverb effect, I would say this is, this is bigger to a wider community. I think to hip hop heads, I'm gonna give it up to LOX versus Dipset, um, just because, and, and, and we'll get into it, but that, you know, we've never seen before. I think that there is a Kanye effect or a yay effect that has existed for years and years, but especially in the last four or five, when he does an interview, especially his first after a while, um, those are, those are true ripples and waves in mainstream culture.
0: All right. So we can debate and, and it won't be our first one. We can debate what's bigger, but we both agree that this is one of the biggest stories in hip hop, uh, over the past 12 months, you know, we're, you know, we're nearing the end of 2021 and we sat it out. We had a debate last week. Uh, off camera where, where we said, okay, you know, how do we approach this? So we, we did cover it on the site, right. On it dropped on uh, like uh, Friday, the 5th, November 5th, we covered it on the site and we went for the low hanging fruit, the things that we thought would bring in the most eyeballs. And there was a disagreement in, in, in that too. So let's get, I want to really like be transparent, pull the curtain back on what we do and why we do it with this episode while also talking about this magnificent interview. So let's start from the top. So Drink Champs drops Friday the 5th. We uh, huddle in our document. We got a Google document that's our virtual writing room. And we say, okay, what's the best angle for this? I chose um, the interplay with them around Drake. You know, Kanye was very, very revealing about what he calls professional rap and the tactics that he and Drake have used uh, against one another. And he says that a lot of the things that he did that people thought was foul, like, you know, putting up Jake's, uh, Drake's address, and <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> putting up Drake's address and things like that, um, was a response to snipes that, that Drake had had. And he likens it to Tyson versus Holyfield. Everybody Dude. remembers that, Tyson bit off Evander's ear, which, you know, quite extreme, but people forget that the reason why he was doing this is because Holyfield was headbutting him multiple times in a ring and cut him, right? Like, so, like, he feels like Evander's doing the sturdy stuff, and it's always the dude who throws a second punch that's caught, right? So he's saying that, okay yes, I've done these things to Drake, but you guys aren't catching the fact that he's DMing my wife. He's DMing all of her friends. He's moving to houses next to me. He's doing all these things to get under my skin. So I thought that was compelling that he would go into such detail about the psychological warfare that Drake is waging against him. You also know um, that you know, despite the fact that these don't necessarily get the highest uh, amount of likes on Facebook and things like that, most things involving Drake or Kanye are among the biggest um, traffic wins that we have, right?
1: It varies. It varies, and we'll talk about that. Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. So we went with that angle. Story did how story did pretty well, right?
1: It did. It did.
0: Okay. But you thought that we should do something different. So you want to lay out what what, what you wanted to approach?
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, the Ambrosia for Heads method is to tell a story, you know, in a compelling manner, you know, often with a compelling, not misleading and not salacious, but a compelling headline and tell it in a complete way. So, you know, in a situation that involves Kanye versus Drake, AFH is competing with, you know, People Magazine, Entertainment Tonight, E Channel, you know, we're competing in a wider space. And at an interview that drops, I believe at midnight East Coast, all of those platforms run for the low hanging fruit. To me, what I thought was interesting about part one of Yay sitting down with Drink Champs was this was a hip hop conversation, you know, in large part. Um, and he said things about Talib Kweli, about Common, about Just Blaze, about Beanie Siegel, not all of it negative, some of it yes, some of it no, that I have not heard Kanye address other than in a tweet from time to time. And to me, with our audience, and I find that the Drake versus Kanye conflict is about four years in the making, three, four years since Pusha T's Daytona. And you know there has been a lot of back and forth. To me, as a fan and as a member of the media, in many ways, it's a tired story. Because both of these guys, um, you know, three years removed from Jay Prince, asking them both to stand down, continue to do quite the opposite. So apart from looking for ooh, ah, diss records, which we got, um, you know, in, in August, late August, early September, this isn't necessarily going anywhere. And we've learned more on that, you know, than we even got in the part one conversation with Ye. But to me, I thought we served the audience that we already have in a headline that's not going to be covered by people, E! channel, um, a lot of the other, you know, hip hop sites that are casting and, you know, a mainstream audience and you and I disagreed. And there was one where I thought time was of the essence. Um, Long form interviews like this take a lot of work to report on. There's a lot of transcription, fact checking, linking, things that go into, you know, an article that people might see on the site and dismiss as a quote unquote blog post. And, and to me, you know, we had a huddle. I deferred in that situation and boom, we ran with it.
0: Right. And context too, right. You, you, you incorporate a lot of context, right. You unpack things and uh, really give the historical connections. Uh, So, okay. So I want to know what would your angle have been?
1: You know, by, we ran the story at noon on Friday, November 5th, at that point, you know, I don't believe that Just Blaze or Common or Big Sean had made it a real time story by responding yet. That happened that afternoon, though. Um, to me, I thought an interesting headline that speaks to I would say seventy five percent or more of the audience that follows us on socials and comes to our site as a destination. Um, you know, something to the effect of Kanye West explains why Common is a better MC than Talib Kweli. Um, something to that effect because to me even though as a fan I might not check every conversation that Kanye does as a member of the media I have um, you know but that's an element that is a part of his history he's had a lot of hand in both of those men's careers both of those that's three core artists to our identity and again that's a story that you are not going to find anywhere else and once you get people in the building for that, I guarantee you they're going to stay and, and read, you know, or listen, watch what he has to say about Drake, about his mother, about his album, you know, Larry Hoover, so on and so forth.
0: All right. So I'm going to say that regardless of which angle we took, both you and I were still playing surface level with this. We were still going after the quick hits, the facts, the just the facts, the news things. Uh, the things that we thought was going to stir things up rather than really focusing on what I believe was the far more compelling part of this interview, which is Kanye sharing his ideas and philosophies on life, on politics, on economics, on race, things like that. And so what I want to do is kind of explore how we've approached these things in the past. So a lot of times we'll take multiple bites at an apple, right? We'll go for the like kind of low-hanging fruit get those, get the head, get the people in, you know, with the headlines, things like that. But then we'll go back and do a deeper dive into it and pull out the gems that other people aren't doing. And, you know, you made a point earlier about yeah, entertainment weekly and people and all these people are doing this kind of story. But I would say that we AFH the fuck out of it, you know? Um, And a lot of that is you where even if it's the story that everyone is doing, we do it in a completely different way. We try to like, uh, provide context and meaning and go much, much deeper for the culture, even if it's the, you know, the, the more obvious story. But beyond that, we also look to like, highlight things that other people might have missed. And I think that whether we're talking about Drake or Talib or Big Sean, like, all those things are the kind of low frequency, salacious kind of things. Uh, because it's about controversy rather than doing things that, um, you know, that then highlighting things that could actually be meaningful um, and, and be something that, that people could learn from. So, you know, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, full transparency. I like the opportunity of things like this podcast to do that and do that in a full level. I am um, my pet peeve in life is wasting my time. And I'm not saying that those things are a time waste. And we'll have this discussion, but I feel as though AFH. In very large part, at your um, leadership and suggestion or assertion, has shot Kanye a lot of defense in the um, four and a half years since you know he, you know, left hospitalization. Um, you know, and 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 all this transpired since we've done that numerous times. If we're going to um, invest our time, invest our context. And compete with everyone else in the space, it doesn't always need to be controversy, but I do want people to care. And, you know, sometimes, um, the best way to do that, the best way to get somebody in the building, and this is my philosophy, you know, in, in, in journalism. And, and I applied it, you know, in close to seven years as the editor-in-chief of the editor in chief of hip hop DX, another site, I, I learned this game, you know, at all hip hop is to, um, you know, do just that. and, and, I'm glad we're having this conversation now, but I stand by the choices we made on Friday, in lieu of perhaps what the headline to this conversation may be at that time.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm not saying it's either or, right? Like you know, um, one of the things I learned at BT is that you know a lot of people criticize BET for its historical legacy of playing music videos um, that people saw as objectifying women and Damaging to um, the black community. And so BET went in the opposite direction and really started to create shows that elevated um, the Black community, shows like BET Honors, Black Girls Rock, and things like that, right? And despite the protestations of people want of, of people, you know, saying, you know, BT shouldn't be doing this or, or shouldn't be doing that, when we put shows like that on. They consistently lost in the ratings, you know, head to head to shows like, you know, um, Housewives of Atlanta or Love and Hip Hop, the shows that were completely like embodying in my mind the things that people were being critical of. So it taught me that a lot of times, you know, one, uh, people, you know, it's like the the classic, you know, do you believe a person's uh, social media avatar or their Google search history? You know, people a lot of times say things that they actually don't really mean, and you know, behind in the privacy of their own home, they 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 act differently. And I think that um, in order to reach people, a lot of times you got to do what I call the medicine and the food approach, where you know um, you you give them the, the the junk food, the candy, but also you put a vitamin inside of it. And I think that's what we aspire to do. That's the ambrosia, right for heads and. Mm-hmm. Uh, So I don't I don't like I'm not downing either one of those, but I'm saying, you know, um, even if we do take the more low low hanging fruit approach, I always want us to give more value. You know, Um, but the interesting thing about this is that it started off those headlines. We saw it. But the the conversation I've seen continue to endure is around the gems that Kanye has been dropping. And I want to unpack that you know, so you and I last. So fast forward, we did our story on Friday. We can we uh, thought about doing another story um, and taking your angle on Sunday. We didn't do that. But we also talked about should we do a pod about this? And it was a little weird for us because we we're like, you know what? Should we do a podcast devoted to someone else's podcast? That That's strange. Right. Um, and um, there were also some sensitive issues you know there were a lot of things that Kanye was talking about that were race related um you thought it might be awkward for you to be talking about those things is is that a fair characterization um yeah I mean I
1: I obviously you know have made my bones for 20 years as you know a white man speaking on a culture you know that I that I believe was started by black and Latino folks and you know there's certain issues um that you know I just I close my mouth and open my ears and I'm not trying to sound like a martyr, but it wouldn't be true to my authentic self to have come in here with an opinion and debate whether Kanye's points about, you know, black history and black futurism are, have merits or not. That just feels, that gets to a weird space.
0: Yeah. And that's not where I was suggesting we go. You know, I was really more saying that we should highlight these things because he's saying things that whether you agree or not, they're thought provoking. And things to be considered. Right. And so um, here we are now a week later and we're having the conversation. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, Yeah, I
1: want to add one other thing that factored in. And, you know, obviously on um, last weekend when part one debuted, you know, there was also another sensitive issue in hip hop that that is parallel to Kanye and Drake. Yeah, but not not completely. Um, Eight, now nine people lost their lives at Astroworld Fest in Houston, Texas. And even though, you know, Travis Scott is not a core artist to our audience. We've been speaking about him a lot lately. I think this is a core, this is one of those hip hop community issues and music community issues. And, you know, even though Kanye's interview has endured and become, you know, ongoing uh, topic of discussion in music and in hip hop, you and I, and it's one of the things I admire so much about you, Reggie. And it's one of the things that AFH is different about is when, when, Big things happen. Sometimes, just like the point I made about race, sometimes you just got to close your mouth. And um, that felt big. And for us to come in and, and perhaps act like that wasn't um, a huge story and a huge moment in, in popular culture, music culture and hip hop culture, um, you know, that was definitely at play because that's not necessarily who we are either.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And we obviously covered that on the site too. Um, And this is an instance where I agree with you that everyone in the world is going to cover that story and we've seen it. And so we say our piece, we acknowledge the event, but, you know, I think that people sometimes need a break from tragedy and we provide, you know, the, you know, the other side, we actually actively uh, put up a positive story about Swiss beats and um, Alicia keys showing the black excellence of their home uh, after that to, to try and counter program to the, the 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 tragedy that was was that story so yeah i get that i get and that. and we and we were
1: very you know just again and, and i like these conversations and this is the the genesis of this podcast we debated whether four hours after the news broke was too soon and and i said yes and we ended up waiting about 28 hours after that news to even share the alicia keys and swiss beat story um which agreed you know you do have to you know, help people just give them something else to think about or read about. But there's, there's so much sensitivity that goes into the job that we do.
0: Yeah. So now here we are a week later and we're about to have this conversation. I'd say the things that changed for me are a couple one, um, you know, just addressing the the conversation about someone else's podcast. Um. We know EFN, uh, fan of the site. He's worked with us quite a bit. We're huge fans of him. We're huge fans of Drink Champs. To me, this is, um, and this is in, in no way uh, taken away from them. This transcends the outlet almost. This is more covering Kanye. We would cover it if it was him talking on CNN or Breakfast Club or whatever it might be, because you know so much of what he's dropping are just you know, newsworthy events. And so um, I don't see it as us biting from their podcast. I see it as us kind of lending our voice to what Kanye has said on a, a really cool outlet. That's one. Yeah. And number two is that I think that uh, again, we, we've kind of touched on some of the low hanging fruit news tidbits, and this is an opportunity for us to do what we've done in the past say, with um, Jay-Z's 444 album, right? We we, we took a similar approach where our first pass at covering that album was, you know, talking about his revelations, about, like, his affairs and things like that. But our next pass was about all the gems that people might not have been discussing that were in that album, like, you know, Building Black Wealth, um, you know, all the and uh you know education self-education things like that gentrification like you know running businesses uh owning property all those things so um now is our opportunity to do this with this interview because i haven't seen a ton of coverage of the many incredible gems that kanye has has dropped in this in this set of interviews now at this point what about you what's changed
1: yeah, I mean, I listened a second time to part one. I listened to part two this weekend, um, which Drink Champs had. And you and I throughout the week were you know questioning that until it became you know confirmed. Um, you know, the fact that it's Drink Champs, and I'm not saying that you're saying this is not arbitrary either. This is a homecoming um, to both use Jay-Z's lyrics on Donda as well as Kanye's own song. He chose a hip hop platform. And what I liked about this, and we'll get into it, is this was a discussion that you're not going to get on David Letterman. This is a discussion that Kanye might not think to include when he produces an interview with Charlemagne as he did in 2018. This is a very, very, this is not a TMZ discussion. This is a different, and, and you know, not only shout out to EFN who I always love with these interviews, keeps things grounded in hip hop, but also, I mean, huge shout out to Nori who has been very kind to me in my own career and has done amazing things with drink champs and, and I will say this is probably the biggest get of their, you know, run, which at this point is, is close to five years.
0: Oh, no, he said that outright. He said, this is going he said no disrespect to anybody who's come before. but This is going to be the biggest episode we've ever had. Yeah. You know, so why do you think that the reaction has been as outsized as it is?
1: Kanye took his time to speak. I mean, this is his first interview post Donda and, and, and first, you know, in a while um, beyond just like social media and things like that. And again, I think this, To use Royce the Five Nines, one of my favorite cliches of 2021, this checks all the boxes. Um, You know, it's got discussions on race, it's got discussions on politics, it's got discussions on music, on hip hop, on, you know, Kim Kardashian West, all of these things, family, faith, um, Larry Hoover, there's so much here. And, you know, and I think that, you know, you and I will debate later, I'm sure if this is the best interview of the year or the biggest interview of the year, but it it's a huge interview at a time when I feel that, you know, those conversations like this are moving in every single direction. So to get Kanye on a really unique format like this, um, it's a big deal.
0: Yeah. You know, I had, I have a group chat uh, with some college friends. And one of my guys was talking about how, yeah you know, he took a, the fat Joe approach that this is the, the greatest interview in the history of interviews which <laughs> to me is 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 absolute hyperbole you know what i mean uh, <laughs> i don't even know that it's the, the 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 greatest kanye interview and that's not again taking away anything from this instead what i'm saying is that you and i as people who have covered kanye very intensively over the last several years know that kanye has had a lot of really phenomenal interviews and unfortunately they get drowned out by the clickbait headlines that focus on small things out of context and take away from all of the game he's dropping about his business struggles, about, you know, his, uh, desire and, and the the obstacles to break into the fashion industry, his successes, you know, uh, black empowerment, things like that, that is taken away. And that's why I, to your point, have ridden so hard because, you know, I feel like there is a ton of coverage of his negativity, but, um, And it almost felt like design, like systemic to me, that uh, people were not focusing on all the things that he was doing that were empowering. Yeah, man. And you're trying to get signed to good music. (laughs) (laughs) No,
1: I, 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 I 100%, you know, feel that, especially in terms of coverage. And, you know, one of the things that I think is an overarching theme of this conversation is Kanye feels betrayed by a lot of people that he's thrown work to a lot of people that he's put money in their pocket and uplifted their profile. And when it came to one or two things, Kanye's mental health and his political views, they went in an opposite direction and condemned Kanye. And we'll talk about that. But I also feel as though there was a point in time over the last three, four years where a lot of the media did the same thing because making fun of Kanye or, you know, even more than the last three or four, for the last five, six, ten years, rants to to always quote Kanye's rants and portray him as an unstable, unhinged person. There's a lot of pageview money in that. There's a lot of advertising dollars in that. And you know, we've done a lot of care in in covering you know some of that. I mean, if you if you search Kanye, uh, the word Kanye on AFH, you'll see it from all sides. We've covered the condemnation from you know, other people and, and videos that have dissed him and a host of different things. But we've also given the man his platform, his dignity, and and to use your term that you said a moment ago, context. Um, so that's why we're here. And that's what we're going to do now.
0: Yeah, let, let, so let's let's talk about those rants, right? Um, I, I, I first started hearing that term on the I think it was the Yeezus tour, uh, where, you know, he would stop during every show. And really, you know, just talk to the audience. Sometimes it would be two or three minutes. Sometimes it could go as long as 10 minutes or so. And um, similar to these interviews, he dropped a lot of knowledge. He would also say things that were controversial. It was during one of those, you know, uh, speeches that he attacked Jay-Z and Beyonce. And um, it was shortly after that that he was hospitalized. Um
1: That was 2016,
0: yeah. That was 2016, yeah, because these these went on for quite a while, you know. But um, I think that a lot of times we live in a very polarized society where something has to be either or when truly it should be both and. You know, he can say things that are crazy. He can also say things that are wise. Um, And I think that it's been a disservice. And to your point, it's a great business to focus on the negativity because as we're learning... You and I have known this, but as as other people are learning from the stuff that's come up about Facebook and things like that, you know, uh, negativity is what sells. If it bleeds, it leads, is what has been a mantra and news for as long as, you know, for, dec- for decades. Um, the negativity is why you always hear about murders and stuff like that is what people gravitate toward for whatever reason. But he talks about, um, you know, people using his crazy against him right um he says that whenever he does something that doesn't conform to what is the norm he's dismissed as crazy and he goes through a list of things um you know first he says that we're all on the spectrum right we all got a little craziness and it and it it just varies from person to person how much crazy they have in them But he talks about um, skinny jeans. When he was wearing skinny jeans before everyone else, he was crazy, right? And then skinny jeans became the the, the mainstream for a long time. When he was carrying a Hermes bag, he was crazy. Um, When he was diverging from the Democratic Party, he was crazy. And, you know, um, he talks a lot about that. Um, Not liking a Drake line and focusing on that, he was crazy. But when you start to see it in the full context... You know, it doesn't look so crazy anymore. When he ran for president, he was crazy, cutting his hair differently. You know, so he then says he's nine billion crazy. Right. And nine billion. He he, he says many times in his interview that he's worth nine billion dollars, regardless of what his net worth is. He's worth a lot of money. He's made a ton of money for um, now Gap in terms of like uh, increasing their their market capitalization just by announcing a partnership with them. And certainly for Adidas, uh, I'm told that uh, the Yeezy, Yeezy business is something like $900 million a year. So w- regardless of his personal net worth, this guy has shifted economies on a major level. And uh, to his point, like, you know, I think a lot of people would like to be crazy like that.
1: Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And, and one of the things that's interesting through this conversation, uh, through the interview, is that Kanye will use very big, far-reaching, um, facts to kind of support his, his arguments or his, his points. And then he'll use really mundane kind of odd, you know, um, you know, even, even the, even the Talib comment thing, like he supports it by saying that, you know, Talib Kwali is the last person wearing, you know, baseball caps. And it's, it's interesting because I do think it's a, it's a, um, unfettered look into Kanye's mind at a time, which, you know, 100%, you know, you get that possibly with TMZ. You might get that with David Letterman. It's a little bit hard to know with the Charlemagne conversation because that was released by Kanye and produced by Kanye. Um, but it's interesting. And one of the things that I'm always fascinated with, with Drink Champs, you know, you get you get me to drinking. You get me to taking a shot every so often. And I'm probably a little less guarded as time goes on. And from what I understand, this conversation was recorded at 10 in the morning. Um, something around that and and kanye unlike some guests in recent years he participates he plays to the show's format and you know he takes his shots um and and i think that that again you don't get a buttoned up kanye you get the what's on his mind in the here and now
0: yeah you know so you talked a bit about uh you touched on the you know him saying people betrayed him but you, you want to talk a little bit more about that
1: yeah um so one of the things that I find, you know, apart from the Drake conversation, which which you know we can get to, and, and I really again support the article that's on Ambrosia for Heads. Drake Champs has done this thing, and I can't think of the name of it, but it's 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 kind of a this or that, where Nori in particular will give two options. And as a journalist, I never like this. To me, it always seems like lazy journalism. It is my favorite part of this interview. Um, and it, it exists in part one because it, it gives an opportunity to show Kanye the fan and also where Kanye's mind is at um, so you know at one point um, I, I believe it it starts around Nori saying common or Talib Kweli and he says common 100% and then he um, he kind of disses is fashion sense points out that he had you know, dissed him on Drink Champs. If I'm not mistaken, we covered the article. Talib uh, sat in with Dead Prez and, and, and really kind of played into that Kanye is crazy, what is wrong with Kanye West um, narrative. At least that's our interpretation of it. And then Kanye even goes as far as saying that, um, you know, Common was was used by the Democrats in, I believe, the most recent election, you know, with his support of Kamala Harris. Um, it comes up again when... Nori asked Kanye, um, is Big Sean or Pusha T, I think? is he, has, he goes with his, this yeah. or that.
0: Yeah, Sean and Pusha T, yep.
1: And Kanye opens up that Big Sean has betrayed him. He said that on his gravestone, it will say, you know, I belong here. I deserve to be here because I signed Big Sean. Um, and Nori, shout out to Nori and EFM because they unpacked that a little bit. I mean, Big Sean has become, over the last 11 years, one of the most successful artists um, and unlike Common, you know, was a new artist on Good Music, Def Jam, and has become, I believe, a superstar. And, and, you know, Kanye then adds John Legend. He says, both of these guys, you know, really went at me for my political views when I have done so much for both of you. And I'm really upset by that. I mean, obviously, I'm paraphrasing. Um, he adds, you know... Um, some other elements to say that, you know, the Democratic Party again is using them. And whereas Pusha T, um, you know, who is not only an artist, but an executive with good music publicly stated, I do not agree with Kanye politically. I, you know, support Joe Biden and, and you know Kamala Harris, but he never took shots. Whereas John Legend and Big Sean allegedly did. Um, so there was that element of betrayal. And I thought that that was really interesting. Um, trying to think where there there were some other um you know he one other thing and this doesn't necessarily fall under betrayal but later in that this or that kind of game nori says swiss beats or just blaze and kanye says swiss beats because just blaze is a copycat he copycatted my whole style and gets credit for jay-z's blueprint album which i thought was so interesting and and both um talib kwali and just blaze have responded as did big sean and all of them have said you know this is news to us because in recent weeks we've we've hung out with kanye we've seen him we've had you know amicable conversations to hear this um and I, i thought that that was that was really interesting
0: yeah i think that even jay responded to the just blaze bit um and said listen like that's not accurate uh kanye did the first beats and i wanted to keep the the same sonic template so i asked just to submit beats that were within that sonic you know frame and framework and which he did i thought that was interesting because you know one of kanye's biggest hits to date is touch the sky and that was produced by just blaze you know so clearly um i think kanye values just blaze's talent but, you know, he says things sort of off the cuff that, um, you know, he might regret at some point. But, you know, that, that theme of betrayal and maybe I think um, a more refined way of thinking about it is uh, sort of like, um, you know, a, a different way of moving behind the scenes than people do publicly is something that recurs, you know. So, for example, he says that Jay-Z and Drake, We'll both talk about things uh, to him privately. Um, but then when he brings those things to the fore in a public manner, they kind of like step away from it, you know? And he talks about this with respect to cancel culture. He, he mentions um, Kevin Hart and Michael B. Jordan as, you know, people who like uh, revere Dave Chappelle and others for, you know, having a fearlessness with, with saying things publicly, um, but but then kind of like, um towing the party line private you know uh publicly but but not 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 privately these, these are his words you know and so you know one of the things that he talks about is regarding politics and we, we've touched on this a bit but he says something that i think is really powerful he says that black people are born into a vote meaning that um uh, basically you know something like uh you know 85 percent 90 90 percent black people vote democratically He thinks that that is um, something that we shouldn't do because we as a collective are really seeding our power to change things to our benefit. Uh, He talks about how other uh, minority groups have wielded this more powerfully and that uh, they've done so by being more discerning and picky about what issues they choose to support versus like a particular party. Those, those are, I think, reasonable statements, um, but he's been deeply criticized for it. And it reminds me a lot of sort of a lot of the, the criticisms Van Jones has encountered over the, over the years, you know, I've um, formed a relationship with him over the last couple of years or so. And um, I know that the work he did with the First Step Act, which has literally freed thousands of black people from jail, uh, but because that act was done with Trump and his administration, there was a tarnish to it. Um, And so people focus on the means instead of the results. Um, And I think that that happens with Kanye as well. Uh, So I I just think it's, um, I think it's thought provoking again, and whether you agree with it or not, something worth, you know, kind of highlighting.
1: You know, again, I mean, I come into this conversation as as a white dude, but I, you know, Kanye also pointed to Ice Cube, you know, having sitting down with Trump and considering what might be, what might be possible, which is something that we covered during 2020 in a very um, I thought, you know, contextualized, interesting way through this podcast and through the site. And Kanye, you know, basically said, before people even, you know, looked at what the merits of that conversation were, they were killing, you know, metaphorically, Cube for even having a conversation. And I thought that 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 was interesting because one of the questions that I asked myself and asked my network over the last four years is, you know, if, if Donald Trump were to ask you to lunch to sit down what do you say? Do you say yes or do you say no? And, you know, that applies to anybody that you may vehemently disagree with, or that is um, somebody who is, uh, you know, highly controversial and whose decisions affect a lot of people. And I like Kanye's point that we shouldn't, you know, dismiss based on that alone. i thought that that's interesting. And because the alternative to your point is, you know, uh, a basically taken for granted alliance with another party. And I thought it was really interesting. One of the sound bites, he said, um, what was it? Like 95, is that the number? 95% of black women, you know, voted in favor of of Harris, you know? And he said, that's more popular with black women than Drake. And it it got a laugh. And my numbers might not be 100% there. And nor nor may Kanye's. I've seen a lot of people say that this interview and his points need fact-checked. But um, again, I thought it was interesting fodder.
0: Yeah, you know, he talks a lot about the notion of control, right? And um, the sense that there are greater forces controlling people. um, And so part of that might be the prism of race and what it means to belong to a collective group. So you have to act a certain way. These are things he's saying. Another is social media, you know, and cancel culture, another one, right? So people might think things and have discussions in private groups, but would never say those things publicly because uh, they would be canceled by groupthink when reality is a lot of people have very nuanced thoughts about things. They're not just like, you know, bluntly one one category or another. He talks about uh, the kind of bullying that happens within social media. And um, he says that people are tethered to certain things uh they're tethered to material goods you know he talks about not having a house now because a lot of people are tied to their house you know they buy the house and then they go out and they're away from their families working support themselves and like in order to like keep this house or this car or whatever lifestyle they have that's anchored in material goods he talks about people being tethered to success metrics, and for a lot of people, it's the number of social media followers they have, and then it's the number of likes you get per post. And you know, for artists, it's like Spotify position, Billboard position. He um, talks about TikTok. You know, this whole notion that people are controlled by forces that you know. He said he he tried aspires to live in a free way and live by his own thoughts instead of like being forced into a particular group or category.
1: Yeah. I mean, I absolutely thought that was interesting. And, you know, one of the things that I don't, one of the things I think needs to be said about this, there are gems and and you're, you're, you're highlighting some of them, but then Kanye does this thing and he's done this throughout his career. This is not exclusive to the last four or five years. He will say other things that completely, um, maybe misalign with other points. And, 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 and that's interpretive based on me. But at one point in the second part of this interview, he says, I want to buy America. And it gets a laugh and he doesn't really qualify. it. And I thought, you know, there's times where Kanye really strikes gold and he shows you um, that he's got an active, arguably brilliant mind. And then he says things that it, it reminded me of, you know, the, the Brothers in Paris song, I Watch the Throne, where they cut into Blades of Glory and Will Ferrell, they cut to a part of the movie. He goes, I don't know what it means, but it sounds provocative. And I feel that Kanye has been haunted by that his whole career. Well, he'll get going and then he'll just start throwing things because they're sound bites. And it's very hard. And that's why I'm glad this conversation exists to highlight the, the gems, but at the same time, not dismiss some of the you know, misfires and, and fodder, not, not misfires, because this is this man's thoughts, but sometimes they're not all gems. And, and I think we can agree on that.
0: I totally agree. They're not all gems. Um, I also think, though, that sometimes he says things that are, are, are purposefully aspirational that people take literally. Uh, like, I don't think he truly believes he can buy America. That would be like in- ridiculous. But I think that he believes that we limit ourselves a lot of times in what we can actually do. And, you know, that is our biggest, like detriment you know he's got a ton of land in Wyoming but you know I, I think to illustrate the point one of the things he says is that he wants to take himself public put himself on the public market and if you listen to that at first it sounds ridiculous like what individual could be on the stock exchange but when you start to think about it in terms of like Elon Musk as an individual. And the outsized value that Tesla stock has, you talk to any person, you know, with an economic background and the the market capital of Tesla does not make sense. It is not anchored in reality. Right. Um, it's, it's, It's almost a meme stock at this point. But what people are doing is they're investing in Elon Musk. They believe in him as an individual, even more so than his company. And so effectively, he's taking himself public. So is what Kanye says so absurd when you think about it like that. Yeah,
1: and I mean, we're also living in the age of NFTs. I didn't think that was so absurd either. I think that's a good example. And maybe you're right on the Buy America thing, but there's times where I feel like you get Kanye going and uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. But yeah, I mean, I, I didn't mean to disrupt your thought
0: though. Yeah, no, nah, no, nah, but that was it. That was it. You know, you know but getting back to uh, some of the things he was saying about the black community, in addition to uh, saying that we're born into a vote, you know, he starts talking about the notion of black history and he questions a couple things about it. He says, why is black history taught in America, starting with the point of slavery instead of going back and, you know, focusing on the fact that we were kings and queens in Africa, some of us and, you know, the cultural contributions we had there and things like that, which I think is a very uh, interesting point he also says, why is it that we're so focused on, and this is like, you know, a lot of criticism that came around, like um, the movie 12 Years a Slave. You know, why do we keep seeing these same stories recur about our enslavement and things like that instead of the progress we're making, the, the, the progress we can make and things like that. And he says that, you know, instead of Black History Month, or maybe it should be in addition to Black History Month, why don't we have a Black Future Month? where we focus on the possibilities um, that are there for black people, rather than just focusing on um, the tragedies of our past. Again, if you agree, agree or not cool, but I think very thought provoking um, comments, you know,
1: let me ask you a question. Just as a black man, are those, are those ideas or those comments either in part or in, in whole, are those things that you've heard before?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, I've heard the the betrayal in the media all the time. You know, uh, Sway says this a lot, like yeah, Sway doesn't see um, slavery movies anymore because he thinks that they're overdone and that it's become systemic. Uh, I think Charlemagne uh, feels the same way. You know, this is not something that is like new um, for people in hip hop to be saying publicly and. Um, and I think might reframe uh, some of the things that Kanye has said, you know, uh, you know, to your point, he shoots himself in the foot with, 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 with points, with with saying things like slavery is a choice. Like that is, that's an absurdity. And uh, I don't think that, you know, anyone would disagree, but if you step back, um, I think part of what he's trying to say is that we, we can free ourselves and we need to free ourselves now um, and you know that's that's just um something that he thinks is still being programmed into us with with the the content that we get that we receive um you know to that point he also talks about um larry hoover and um and likens that you know what happened to his generation and a lot of people in the community is that you know we hear about crime we hear about um you know the inequities of arrests and incarceration and sentencing and things like that but we often don't think about the impact on the community which is that um, it's an entire wave of potential leaders that are taken off the table you know and he talks about the effect that's had of people who can teach the next generation about property and um, building your own business and all these things so you know, again, just things that I think are um, noteworthy. And the last point on that, I think, is that he talks about, he says that uh, we don't farm, we farm land that isn't our own. And in that, he, uh, he sees that as a continu- continuation of slavery. And the, the examples he uses are, you know, record labels. So artists often um, make music for record labels that, that make them tons and tons of money, but then aren't able to... Um, own the label um you know and he talks about the nba and and you know obviously the players make billions and billions of dollars for that but very few owners in hollywood as well so there's a lot of black empowerment talk in and in what he's what he's discussing
1: yeah and i mean you know I, I really i really like the fact he brings larry hoover jr with him and anyone that's listening to donda knows that you know releasing freeing larry hoover senior from from prison is um is one of the things that's on Kanye's agenda right now. And, you know, again, that aligns with something that you and I have, you know, covered with AFH of, you know, I don't even like necessarily using the word gang. And in in my writing, I say community organization. Um, When you talk about whether you're talking about, you know, gangster disciples or the crypts or the bloods, there's a time and a place. And I love that Kanye is using this moment, which has a lot of liquor, to kick some nutrition, um, be it what you're talking about being it about, you know, giving a different portrayal than you might see on, on, you know, TV over somebody who's been very influential to the city of Chicago and talking about things like Cabrini green and all this, you know, different stuff. So, you know, I do 100% um, echo your sentiments that there's, there's, there's some nutrition to this discussion and it should be covered on equal measure with anything that's, that's crazy or salacious
0: yeah you know on Larry Hoover he makes another interesting point he talks about the fact that um, uh, for a lot of us our outcome our life's outcome is really based on circumstance you know he talks about going to prison with Kim who's doing a lot of work with Van Jones and others uh, reforming the criminal justice system and he said that he went into the maximum security portion and he looked around and he saw um, basically the equivalent of Kendrick himself, RZA, um, and uh, I think someone else. And his point was is that, you know, these are people who are genius. And if they had been given a different set of circumstances or placed in a different context, they would have been him or they would have been, you know, this person. And he, you know, conversely, could have been Larry Hoover in a different dimension, you know? Um, and so I, I thought that was really, really powerful for him to say.
1: Yeah, I like that. And I mean, again, to my point, you know, he'll make that statement, which is really powerful, and then make a point of look at where Just Blaze is now and look at where I'm at. And, you know, that comes from a place, obviously, of emotion or um, ego, um, you know. And, and it's, 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 again, like when you unpack it, it's hard to talk about one for me and not talk about the other. I know those are very isolated ideas, but they relate to each other. Um, To your point, one of the interesting things I thought Kanye said is he hates the word rapper, and he feels as though that's a racist word. And for me, you know, covering this culture for for 20 years, I hate the word rapper too. Like, um, we obviously, like, I use it in my writing, but I never lead with it, Um, you know, Shout out to my man, Andres Tardio at Genius. Years ago, when we were working together at DX, he was the one of the people that always used the word MC. Everybody was an MC. Kanye was an MC. And at the time, that sounded so 1980s to me, early 90s. But that's something that you and I use in our vernacular. We were, we really treat the people that we cover as artists. And if we're going to you know, specify who they are to hip hop, I use the word MC before rapper, because I feel like Kanye made the point that it, It really reduces um, somebody's impact of of what they're saying when you just call rapper. I thought that was an interesting gem in there.
0: Yeah, you know, I I feel the same way. Whenever I hear the term articulated, especially from certain people, I hear a tinge in it, you know, and it definitely makes me cringe a bit. His point was he was on Jumbotron at the Lakers game and they had hip-hop artist Kanye West to call this guy. And he he said, listen, I I have a... um, a PhD from the, uh, the art, this art and institute in Chicago. Um, so can I at least get artists? But if you think about it, the dude is now uh, a business mag- magnate. He is a media mogul. He's worth uh, you know hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars based on his business acumen, not on his rapping. Same thing with Jay-Z, same thing with Dr. Dre. And yet you still hear people referring to these guys as rapper, it's, it's cold, it's dog whistle, you know? And so, yeah, I thought that was really, really interesting. You know, another thing he talked about though, and I'd love your take on this is the power of music and the responsibility of artists to make what he says is, you know, is redemptive music. And so he talks about, um, uh, how uh, and I'm curious as to if you knew about this Bone Thugs and Harmony apparently said that that, you know, they were approached by federal agents and asked to make a more negative kind of violent music. Is, is that something you'd heard before?
1: Not something I remember hearing. You know, there's a lot of stuff surrounding Ruthless Records and, and kind of the, the, the feds paying attention to NWA and, and things of that nature. That wasn't something that was top of mind for me. And when he brought it up in the interview, I was um, I had to kind of look it up, too.
0: Yeah, so he said that, but he said, listen, a lot of the music we put out there, and you and I talk about this a lot, um, you know, we go back and forth on putting overly um, misogynistic or, you know, violent music on, like, uh, just just we try and be thoughtful about it, but so much of the music just pumps that mentality into the community. Um, what What did you think about what he had to say about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things I, I thought was interesting. And obviously, you know, there's a time and a place for all different types of music, all different types of genre, and there's death metal and all of that. But I thought it was an interesting point to make, again, of what we what we choose to put in our minds and ears. And I thought about it when he said it. Um, you know, Kanye's produced disc records, and he's done a lot of things. I mean, recently, you know, with Pusha, but years ago with Jay-Z, um, and... But I can't say that Kanye has produced and co-signed records that I thought were massively detrimental. And and if I really sat and thought deeper, I might come up with an answer or two. But he's been protective of that idea throughout his whole career, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, you know, and he he talks about um, discussing this with Drake and saying, you know, here we are. We're two guys who are supremely accomplished. Neither one of us is hood dudes. And yet we're talking about killing this person and what we're gonna do and stuff like that. Put you on a gilding. Man. Yeah. What are we doing? You know, we've got to, We've got to make redemptive music. Why would we? You know. Um. You know, put out this kind of music when it's not even representative of who we are.
1: That's always interesting to me, and I feel like this recurs any time that there's, you know, uh, a violent, you know, violent lyrically. Um, beef and hip-hop, and then eventually things squash. Like, it's wild, you know, for me to see Jeezy and Gucci Mane doing a versus together when you know all the backstory or the game and 50 Cent taking a photo or snooping Suge Knight. And then there's all these reasons why you can understand why that's good or why that would happen and all the upsides of their relationship. But, um, yeah, I, it, it's weird to see this impasse that Kanye and Drake are at. I think it's fair to mention right now that Kanye with um, Jay Prince... Has tried to declare um, a bit of an armistice um, for December seventh that the three of them appear together in Los Angeles. Really, it's about you know Kanye West and Drake to celebrate their albums and and kind of put their beef to bed in the name of positivity. And on one hand, you know I think that that's great. On another, there has been so much public image carnage and Pusha T is very much part of this too that has transpired over not just the last three years but really over that and I'm like is it because people don't care anymore is it because that I don't know that Drake and Kanye's beef with each other necessarily has anywhere else to go besides piecing it up I don't know I, I respect Kanye's point but it's one of those things where I question the convenience and the timing of that statement now
0: well, part of that was around Larry Hoover, right? And he wants Drake to link forces and help to um, help to liberate uh, Larry Hoover. That that was the the bigger part of it, right?
1: Yeah, and I mean that has been something that has been on James Prince, Jay Prince's, um, you know, agenda. I'll say, or or a passion of his for years. And when he was doing his book tour over the last couple of years, The Art and Science of Respect, he talked about that a lot. You know, Rap a Lot Records you know, created partnerships in Chicago with groups like Do or Die that had involvement with some of Larry Hoover's people. Um, and they really tried to get that message out. And, you know, it was always weird to me that Jay Prince um, kind of inserted himself into this beef back in 2018. And at on one hand, he said that Drake was a family asset, given that his son Jazz was the one who, you know, quote unquote, discovered Drake and brought him to Little Wayne to sign him to Young Money Cash Money. But also Jay Prince, you know, had hired Kanye um, on Scarface Records back in the early 2000s, like The Fix. So he's somebody that had ties to both sides. He asked them to stand down in 2018. I don't think, my take is that didn't happen. That was the narrative at the time. But as we both know, Kanye has said things on wax and in public. Drake has said things in wax and in public. And here we are, and you're absolutely right. It's, It's kind of brought to this other thing. And it reminds me a little bit of you know um, Minister Louis Farrakhan bringing together Common and Ice Cube and Mac Ten to put that beef together you know to bed. And I know he tried with other other instances in hip hop like uh, Snoop and Suge Knight and, and and different times. But you use peace with something that's you know nutritious or something that might be bigger than the music as a, as a. To kind of spotlight but you know what what is your take of this this december 7th idea
0: you know um i, I think that i think that what they should do is the versus. you know i think that if you really want to like uh, raise awareness and also like you know settle your beef in a more constructive way do versus man it's it's the biggest platform we have for that kind of engagement Um, I do think it would be the biggest of all time. They could have something like literally two, three, four million simultaneous users. It it could just be gigantic. Um, And I think that that's something that would be great for the culture and could potentially bring them together. You know, just just get it out there, put it out in the open. It's been a competition. They've been circling around it with releasing albums around the same time and like, you know, all that stuff. Just, Just make it official and do it.
1: I like that idea a lot. And and also, I mean, not to take away from Larry Hoover, use that as the platform to bring out Larry Hoover Jr. Or put some information on the screen on what viewers can do to bring this man home. Um, I like that idea a lot. And and to me, that, that keeps it hip hop. And that also brings um, some finality to something that I think that, that is interesting to people is, you know, who's better, who's bigger, who wins um, because that's, something that both of these artists drake and kanye and also push t have long wanted you know they want the word and i don't think i don't think the loser would be over i mean we've all watched meek mill come back after losing to drake um so yeah i i really like that idea and let's let's bring it back to the interview too
0: well, yeah, part but, one. Well, well, oh. but, but yeah it's the gucci and uh jeezy template right like um they had their verses. It was it's Gucci and Jeezy, right? Uh, they had their yeah. verses, and um, they brought out Stacey Abrams, you know, and that arguably allowed for Georgia to like you know control Democrats to control the Senate race, like you know people dismissed that, but like there was so many people tuned into that, and um, you know, to to put that kind of messaging in an event like that, so it can absolutely tie back to Larry Hoover.
1: That's a that's a hugely great point. And what I was going to say, too, is throughout part one of this interview, you know, they asked Kanye about Versus, which is something that we've covered on the site even months ago that he wanted and was down to battle Drake on Versus. But Kanye said, yo, I'm with it. And and bigger than that, I want to battle everybody. I want to battle as a producer. I want to battle as a rapper. I think he even jokes that he wants to battle in fashion. Um, and battle
0: himself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, who do you think will win that 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 Kanye versus Drake? Man, I mean, that would, like you said, be the
1: biggest thing in the world. I, um, you know, subjectively, based on the music, I tend to go Kanye. Um, but Drake is, you know, so, so capable of pulling out, um, you know, big stops. And it kind of reminds me of the lead-in discussion before Versus happened of KRS versus Kane and drake has some cane in him of just being so smooth and so calculated um and and he could be able to to i don't i won't call it an upset i don't know if there is an upset in that battle but drake could easily walk away with the dub too based on how how um you know strategic he's with it but what about you
0: i don't think there's anyone on the planet in hip hop who can beat drake in a versus i think drake has the most hits i mean it's it's, it's that's just Factual. Drake has the most hits of any hip-hop artist in history, and that's just solo. When you start to count the features that he has and things like that, his catalog is unrivaled. Um, now, it, it is subjective in that if you don't like Drake, you're not going to think that, but if if you're just talking about hits, um, like, you know, and, and also his run has been 12 years, like, nonstop. Yeah. You know, Kanye has been Doing this really since what, like two thousand three or so? Yeah. Uh, but he's had fits and starts. Like he's had ups and downs. A lot of people weren't down with Jesus. A lot of people weren't down with Life of Pablo. Like that. You know, he's had and yay Ye, um, or, or, uh, yeah, Ye, right? or yeah yay right or um He's had some 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 albums that people didn't really feel. Uh, whereas Drake, there's not he, he hasn't had a downtime in twelve straight years.
1: No, that's big facts. But also I think that, and, and you taught me this when we did the Finding the Go composition. not taught me this, but did a great job laying it out in the conversation. There is a nostalgia effect. And the fact that Kanye has been close to 20 years and had some of those, those breaks and those misfires creatively, there's a nostalgia aspect there where I feel that, uh, that people to watch Kanye get back into form and channel that aspect of himself you know, bringing it to the discussion, one of the things that I thought was interesting on the music tip is he said that of his records, he was really he was more proud of Can't Tell Me Nothing from Graduation than he was the Through the Wires of the Jesus Walks. And I thought that that was really, really interesting because that might be my favorite Kanye song of all time. Um, and he even revealed something that you, you probably knew I, I had heard said before. It was originally intended to be a Jeezy record. Um, But it showed the transition of him being able to tap into something else, kind of make his his second or third step artistically. And even as Kanye was talking about that, one of the things like having that platform for him to talk about his catalog that way or discuss why Nas is his favorite rapper, but sucks at basketball. um, That made me really like this interview a whole lot more than the interviews that I've seen over the last four, four years, four and a half.
0: Yeah, you know, and another thing about the verses is that as you and I have learned time and time again, um, it's not just about the records; it's also about the performance. And um, I think Ye might sell his performances a little bit more enthusiastically than, than Drake would. You know, I think he's just more of a dynamic performer. But yeah, man, um, great interview. Anything else you want you want to talk about with, with that? No, man,
1: I I'm curious of of you know this interview, sort of like versus with with the other big moment. One of the other big moments that you mentioned at the top, Locks versus Dipset. There's this has a way of 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 reverberating, and I feel that there will be beyond December seventh, whether Drake participates or not. Um, this this will have impact naturally. I feel like Talib just blaze people that were mentioned are going to have something to say i'm curious i mean this is this you'll never hear me say this sentence again in my life i'm curious of, of how kim kardashian reacts because one of the things that kanye did was really say i'm fighting for my family and i don't like her publicist i don't like the way that they portray me um you know her machine and her business as crazy or as unhinged um and you'll never hear me say divorce because i haven't you know i haven't gotten the paperwork and i thought that that was really interesting that are probably a lot of people that have gone through breakups or had tough times can relate to similar to Jay-Z's 444 album.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So how does this interview impact your uh, thoughts about Donda, the album?
1: You know, it, one of the interesting questions I thought that was asked is, you know, do you get pissed when people diss Donda because it's your mother's name? <laughs> that was a great question. Um, and, and, you know, it lets me know that, Kanye, this this headspace that he's in is not exclusive to one day. Um, you know, the, the, the freedom of Larry Hoover is a big part of Kanye's headspace right now that we heard about. I mean, that's one of the themes of Donda. And also that just like I am so convicted in my ways that I'm going to go to jail tonight, you know, refrain. Um, that's something you kind of get from this. It, it, it doesn't necessarily bring me any closer to the album. Um, I've been working as we are well into November now um the last couple years we've done a 20 20 best of albums list of the year and i'm ready to have that conversation with you pretty soon we got a couple albums coming out donda's on my list of 20 um it wouldn't be on my list of 10 but it made me it made me believe that kanye is talking it as he's walking it as it pertains to that album but what about you
0: so the album has continued to grow on me you know um i had this same experience with Jesus. In fact, I wrote an article back when Jesus dropped, um, called five things, uh, I love about Jesus and none of them are the music, you know, I, I really, it was just too dissonant and too harsh for me at the time. But as I listened to it more, my, my ears started tuning from what I expected and wanted to hear to what it was and what I actually heard. And I really liked it. And I actually was, it's the only time I was on, um, Reggie say rest in peace combat jacks podcast and uh, talking about that article but by the end of the year it was one of my favorite albums of the year I've been kind of having this experience with that album you know I, I had a reaction to how long it was and I still think that it gets a little bit repetitive in the second half but the more I listen to it the more it opens up and watching this interview made me want to go back and listen to the album again just hearing where his headspace is I agree with Um, that. you know, just really kind of like exploring the themes that we've highlighted here because they are embedded in the album. He talks about 24, you know, I hadn't connected that to Kobe before. Um, had you connected that to Kobe, the song mm-hmm. 24? No. Yeah. I mean, it's his number and, you know, he talks about like wanting to get Kobe's uh, image in the video and things like that. So just, you know, getting gems like that, I think I'll hear the album differently now and, um, and probably appreciate it much more than I did on on the first few lessons.
1: Kanye did that with me with life of Pablo, but it wasn't an interview that made me like it more. I think that like any great artist, I mean, this has happened to me with, you know, albums by Fleetwood Mac or or Bob Dylan, you know, the more you sit with an album, the more you understand it, the more you appreciate it. So, I mean, and that's what fandom is. That's what art is. It's a living, breathing thing, but I, I feel that. So let me ask you two questions. And the first one is, is this the best interview of 2021?
0: The best interview of 2020, 2021. Um, I would have to say yes, only because I can't remember uh, another interview. Um, I can't remember another interview. I remember another conversation. I'd say uh, it is, on par with i'd say there's three conversations that i I would say are equally compelling this year okay this is one another one is with three mickey fax and royce Mm. and the other one was with royce um lupe and a host of other people those to me are the three most compelling conversations of the year Uh, but but what about you
1: you know, I'm glad to hear you mention that. I, I, that crossed my mind, too. To me, the best interview that I've heard in the hip-hop space of 2021 is, is a is a series of interviews. It's it's produced, which is in a different way than Drink Champs is. Um, it's Open Mike Eagle's um, What Had Happened podcast with LP. And I just thought that that was utterly phenomenal. And LP as a subject, going through his career, is truly one of the best interviews I've ever heard. Period. Um, other things that come to mind I think DMX's Drink Champs conversation um, back in February was huge. Hmm. And obviously that is only going to be amplified by the fact that it is one of X's final um, interviews of that kind, but I think it needs to be said. And and I'm, I'm happy that you, you know, those were messy. The, the Mickey Fax Royce things. I mean, one of them was like three hours long. There's not a lot of moderation. It's really kind of a, a voyeuristic look at two, um, You know, great MCs talking through a dispute, and then other people, you know, Joe Budden, so on and so forth, um, chiming in. Um, Yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad that you would mention it. So, my second question, Reggie, is: Is this the biggest interview of 2021?
0: It's definitely the biggest interview, without question. It it is a cultural moment. Um, the 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 first one is at like 7.8 million views now second one is it like one point five million within you know just like thirty six hours or so, so that's a combined ten million views for for these just in the in the in the last week and I'm sure that when all of a sudden done it's gonna cross twenty million views collectively that's gigantic for uh, an interview um of um of artists who happen to do hip hop yeah uh sure. you know uh, <laughs> So, yeah, I, I, for sure. But w- what do you think? Hard
1: to say. I mean, again, I think that DMX conversation will mean a lot. It's sort of like Biggie being on uh, the Wake Up show with Sway and King Tech in 97, um, you know, or that that other conversation he had um, that you that you see, like it's a last look at somebody's like, this is one of the biggest. I'll be very curious to see if Kanye does more press um, immediately after this. I was relieved. You know, both as a fan of Drink Champs, um, and just letting things breathe of not seeing Kanye um, in the in the week and a not even half in the little over a week since the first one dropped. Also, that makes me wonder, you know, how much the Astro World tragedy contributed to that because just like you and I, I don't think Kanye would be as insensitive enough to step in front of a microphone and 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 do another right now. Um, but yeah, it's 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 really interesting and and. Shout out to, I mean, you know, Will Smith. And I, I want to ask you about it because you had the opportunity to see Will speak. Will's doing interviews right now that are mind blowing. Um, and, and and also Wait, b-
0: before we get into that, I got one last question for you okay. about Kanye. Yeah. So um, you and I have probably seen, what, 15, 20 Kanye interviews over the last 10 years, maybe more. More. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think more. But I'm just being conservative. Um and is it accurate to say that, um, that there isn't really a ton of new themes being covered in this? These are, these are things that Kanye has explored pretty much at length in the past. Is that, is that accurate?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's some here and now stuff, but overall, yeah.
0: Yeah, especially the Black Empowerment, the gems that we pulled out, right, that his views on the community and stuff like that. So that being said, why do you think people have been able to hear Kanye differently this time around, why has it risen above just the clickbait, you know, like um, salacious headlines to have the cultural impact that it has and resonate with people the way it has this time around? It's a really good I got, question. i got a theory, in it, but I want to hear yours first.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we're hungry for it, even though there's a lot of podcasts and there's, you know, there's a lot of content coming out. This hasn't been a year where there's the interviews that we've even seen three and four years ago where there's just every daily conversation. I think that, I think Drink Champs deserves a huge round of applause and air horns and all that because their format, this isn't Kanye producing an interview with Charlemagne and releasing it on his own channel. This is raw and uncut and Drink Champs has built that reputation. And we've seen from, you know, Puffy publicly for the first time. I remember speaking of, speaking on confronting Suge Knight and Death Row after the 95 Source Awards to, you know, um, Irv Gotti saying that a J-Lo sex tape exists. We've seen some crazy things happen in Drink Champs conversations. Bold revel- revelations, which I think has a lot to do with the hosts and the fact that there's smoke and liquor in the air. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this kind of signals to the world of like, yo, this is Kanye raw and uncut. Um, and, and, you know, to keep it in theme with what you're saying and, and what I'm agreeing with in large part, raw and uncut Kanye still means there's uncut gems in there. But but tell me your theory.
0: So I got I got two theories and one of them literally just came to me while you were talking. So uh, one is the first one that I had is that I think people couldn't hear past the MAGA hat,
1: Mm.
0: you know, and I think to his point, like uh, we've allowed ourselves to be put in such tight boxes that we can't even bother to hear or parse out the opinion of someone who seemingly has, um, you know, other differing opinions than we do. And so that hat was such a powerful theme that I think once he had that on, people just couldn't hear past it. That's one. But two, and this goes back before MAGA and um, kind of explains, I think, you know, the, the, the rant stuff and all that stuff is that we've all been through a collective uh, mental health crisis over the last two years. I would say that uh, probably we as a, a humanity have a better understanding of mental health uh, problems than any of us did you know, two years ago, given everything we've gone through with lockdown and COVID and you know, the polarization of the country, all that stuff. And so I think that um, people are more sympathetic and nuanced to um, mental health uh, um, you know, language and perception and things like that. And so are not as easily to dismiss something as crazy and be caught up in that label. And so it allows people to hear more, um, complicated, um, complicated concepts without dismissing things as being crazy.
1: That's a really good point. And also I'll, I'll, as you said that I get one more too. This is the first time that I recall Kanye speaking since Trump lost the election Hmm. and it hits differently when you see a guy defending, um, the right to be, to have conservative idealism or be pro-life or be um, all the things that that Kanye articulates himself as being, when you're not living in a society, if you disagree with that, that you feel as though that is the regime, that is what's being forced upon you. And yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge factor of like, okay, like you're entitled to your your thoughts, but that isn't in our face everywhere else we look. And and arguably it still is as it was in, in 2018, 19 or 20.
0: Yeah, he's also not alone anymore. Right. You had Cube coming out. You had Wayne. You had a lot of people kind of like uh, crossing um, the line and and extending, uh, you know, an arm to Trump, a hand to Trump. So, yeah. Good point. Yeah. So, sorry, what were you about to say?
1: No, I mean, you know, it, 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 I'm, I'm Will Smith, eager. Will Smith. Yeah, I'm eager to dive in. I've been hesitant because I really wanted to catch his show in Philly, and I was out of town. But, um, you know, Will Smith has been doing some phenomenal interviews this year, and it doesn't necessarily pertain to hip hop, but I think Questlove has. I, he's done some phenomenal interviews too. Um, you know, in, in regards to his documentary too. Um, the Fresh Air conversation alone was was stunningly good. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I saw Will Smith. Uh, he did his, uh, book, books, uh, a, a book event l- release event in uh, Brooklyn. Uh, he had Spike Lee interview him and he basically just told stories and Jeff jazz De- Jeff came out, uh, did a DJ set. Then they performed together. They performed brand new funk and, and summertime. It was, it was dope. It was really, really dope. Um, but interestingly, um, someone pointed this out to me afterwards, uh, he didn't mention his wife one time he talked about his kids he talked about his parents he talked about his upbringing but he never mentioned jada and i'm wondering if that was self-censorship in light of everything that's been going on about their marriage over the last several months or so
1: it might it might equate to what we're talking about with kanye is is that becomes the loud part and for me as a hip-hop fan you know I, i know i just mentioned kim kardashian which might be a first on this podcast. But I don't really care about the Jada Pinkett Smith stuff at this point. That's an ongoing saga. I, I'd be much more, you know, popcorned up for those stories that you're talking about. And I'm curious if Will wants to keep that attention to all the other things he has to say, then, you know, do it as a couple.
0: Word, word. All right. So we got a couple quick other things to cover. Um, you just broke this to me like right before we started recording today. Um, so you want to you want to tee this one up?
1: Yeah. So, you know, Snoop Dogg has an executive position at Def Jam now, um, as of this year, we've, we've spoken about it in passing before, um, first big signing of what I would consider an artist that's already out and established Snoop announced that on the Joe Rogan podcast that, um, Def Jam has signed Benny the Butcher, which is, which is wild to me. What, what, what's your initial thought on that?
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild to me. Um, on a on a few levels so first of all this isn't Benny's first major deal you know he Conway and Westside Gun were were signed to shady records that one was always an interesting one to me you know uh you know M has i guess prided himself on finding you know the most authentic artists you know um you know 50 was that um you know you and I are big fans of Westside uh, you know formerly boogie now Westside boogie and him having that authentic voice. it's But, you know, sonically speaking, and Yellow Wolf, you know, same thing. Um, sonically speaking, that was a weird signing to me because I just hadn't heard anything like that come out of, of Shady, and that was a pretty short-lived um, partnership. So I think that, you know, it, it spoke for itself. I think the thing that surprises me the most about this signing is that Griselda has prided itself For such a long time on on being an independent movement and uh, really doing things their way. So and Benny, especially with his black soprano family, uh, I'm surprised that he would even sign another deal because I don't think he needs to, Uh, um, you know, but then again, I think uh, instead of looking at this as, you know, as Kanye would say, someone farming someone else's land. I'm going to think, I'm going to uh, imagine that this is Benny, um, you know, capitalizing on opportunities in the way that he wants to, similar to how Jay did with Rock Nation, where, you know, um, he went and, and, and also like what, what RZA did with Woo and going to different labels and signing them to different artists to maximize your, your, your revenue and value, probably short-term deals and taking advantage of that machine to to keep building your own empire that's what I, I assume this is. Um, and culturally speaking, I think that Def Jam makes a lot more sense sonically, historically and things like that. than, than shady records as a signing for Benny, he could be the next great in a long line of, of MCs, but w- what's your take? Man, I had a lot of thoughts. I mean, initially
1: I thought that, you know, it's amazing to me that, that Eminem, um, Paul Rosenberg and, you know, Mike Heron and the rest of the team at shady sign, Griselda, before Paul Rosenberg loses his job as the chairman of Def Jam or the CEO of Def Jam. And now Def Jam goes and signs an artist that Shady did in 2017. Um, it's, it, it just seems um, a little late. <laughs> but also, I mean, I'm happy for Benny. And I think your point in, in comparison to Woo is a good one. I think that West Side Gun, Conway the Machine, and Benny the Butcher do this amazing thing where they create these deals and partnerships, soak up game, benefit from bigger infrastructures, more marketing, more promotion, a radio team, and then move it right back into their own silos. And they do so without ever compromising the art. To me, Benny the Butcher already made a Def Jam album last year. And it's it's my favorite Benny album, Burden of Proof, um, which was produced by Hit Boy, featured Lil Wayne, featured Big Sean, uh, featured Rick Ross. Like that felt like a Def Jam album. It sounded like taking an artist like Benny who had made great you know, um independent DIY music with Derringer and Alchemist, and then moving it into the Def Jam system and showing it with a different level of polish or a different type of um cachet to it, different aesthetic. What
0: so what, I, what about that made it sounded like a Def Jam album to you? What what made it? I mean, you know uh, Just based on
1: association, I mean, Nas had already made, you know, albums with Hit Boy. Hit Boy is this hit-making producer from Watch the Throne and Big Sean and all these different records. And then you go and you get a different kind of feature than you got on Tana Talk 3 or on Plugs I Met. Um, Just more of it. I think a lot of people were surprised to see Wayne, Sean, and Benny on a song together. But it worked. I mean, it was a jam. Um, and, And one of those records that really grew on me. Um, to me, that feels like the Def Jam formula. Um, but, you know, again, I'm happy. But it's it's interesting. One other point is, you know, Benny was the one artist that I believe signed to Shady through the group. So we're never, I don't think that we're ever going to get, at least in the current understanding a Benny solo album on Shady. I, ne- I wasn't necessarily expecting one. Um, you know, last year, West Side Gun put out Who Made the Sunshine, which came out on Shady Interscope. But to me, didn't look or sound or feel any different than the stuff that he's just put out through Griselda. Um, you know, similarly, you know, I've had the opportunity, uh, to hear a lot of Conway's upcoming, um, shady records, you know, album, God don't make mistakes. And I really like it, but it's not a hugely different album than what Conway has put out, you know, on his own drum work label or through Griselda. Um, and that's, that's the gift of, of Griselda as a movement. Even their, you know, What Would Chingun Gun Do album. I mean, you and I were astounded back in 2019 that that album didn't didn't have the the interscope or the shady records effect of sounding like it was trying to be something besides what the group was. And to this day, it's one of my favorite albums released on that label, especially not under an artist named Eminem. So this one surprises me. Um, I do think we'll see music. What I hope for, best case scenario, is that it, positions Benny who is without a doubt one of the best um one of the most prolific you know artists of this moment right now um and and allows him to kind of do what they did for Pusha which is you know take him up a few rungs in the ladder and I feel that Pusha was always a great MC um people that listen to Reup Gang mixtapes and Clips albums Ben knowing that but once he stepped in the Def Jam building through good music it took him to another level. So I would love to see that happen with Benny, but you know, anything so the, you go ahead.
0: So the Griselda guys, uh, you know, are prolific, you know, each one of them releases probably three projects a year, maybe even more. Do you think that Def Jam allows him to continue doing what he does in that regard? Or do you think that they try and make him conform and, you know, more to the one per year type approach?
1: That is a great question because sometimes, you know, you wonder if Gunn's album on Shady would have been different if Gunn didn't sandwich it between two independent releases. And there is, I mean, there's, you know, this as a, as an entertainment lawyer in the past, like there's clauses and contracts that stop artists from releasing music within certain windows, just like there are contracts for doing tours. If you can't be in the city for six months, if you're going to come back on a big tour and perform, um, You know, on one hand, that would probably work to Def Jam's advantage. On another, I can't imagine Benny with all that he's accomplished with his with his brothers and by himself to be willing to sit down for, you know, nine months or a year and not do anything else. Unless there's a total change of strategy.
0: Yep. All right. Cool. Uh, Another one that stuck out to me was that uh, Snoop wants to run Death Row Records. Yeah, um, I, didn't, I didn't see the article, but you want to tell me about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, Snoop just just made the point in his press run for his upcoming album. And also, I should add one point, you know, Snoop recently put out a single with Benny, with Busta Rhymes. Um, and, and, and we can talk about it in passing, but it's, it's funny how there's a two pronged approach to that news. But, you know, Snoop had said, you know, Death Row has floundered um, since, you know, basically Suge Knight lost the label. Um, you know, it's, it's been owned at one point by Hasbro, the toy company, it, it keeps changing hands, uh, for a time they were putting out, you know, releases like we never got shout out to Sam Sneed, whose photos behind me. They put out that album, they put out Danny boy, they put out other things, but the label hasn't really been run with a whole lot of, um, flair and excitement other than merchandise. I see a lot of kids as you probably do too, wearing death row shirts and hats. So apart from merchandising, the label, you know, doesn't really seem to work. And Snoop says, "I want the job, and I've been in talks with them, but let's make it happen." And I do think that would be really good for Death Row. The amazing thing is, if that were to happen, and I'm sure that Snoop would want, you know, tremendous equity in the company. Um, that would be his third. Com- that would be his third deal of this kind. Um, Snoop is currently at Death Jam. About over a decade ago, he came back to kind of resurrect Priority Records and put out his. 10 or so favorite albums that that label had put out with a special new cover and Snoop liner notes. So Snoop could, uh, you know, he could become the revivalist for these labels, but something seems right about Snoop um, and Death Row being together again, just like it seems right that LL Cool J is back at Def Jam.
0: Yeah, I think it's good publicity, but you know, practically speaking, I don't know that it would be, um, um such a success you know i think about like snoop's track record as a label exec of his own and i can't think of you know maybe the east Siders, um but I, I can't think of uh tremendous like success that he's had as a label owner outside of you know doing his own music and so um you know i, I wonder whether or not he would actually be able to kind of revitalize the label
1: snoop has an incredible ear for talent i mean you know he he through Snoop was how I learned about Terrace Martin. It's how I learned about Problem. It's how I learned about Demani. Hope I'm saying that right. Um, You know, Bad Luck, different people. Snoop lacks follow through. And I think that that is because he has so many pots on the stove with his own career. So you're right. But I mean, Snoop's been wearing the chain again the last few years. And Death Row is too impactful of a label to be just cast away and relegated to shirts and hats. And I don't know about you, but a lot of the artists on Death Row that are still, you know, active today. I don't mean to sound cynical, but I'm more interested in the music that I didn't get to hear from the mid nineties than I am, you know, of some of the stuff that they're putting out now. And that's, I am not speaking of Snoop Dogg, but there's other people. And yeah, I, um, I'd like to see it happen. And I'd love for a hip hop story and an ownership story to see Snoop own the label that, you know, uh, in some ways created his life, but in others, damn near nearly took it.
0: Yeah, you know, I think the important thing for me would would be that there is continuum, you know, continuity. So, uh, you know, going back to the Benny Def Jam, I think Benny makes sense as an artist because you can see kind of the timeline, the progression from LL to like, you know, J and DMX to Redman and meth to like Benny, like it all fits, it all like, you know, is on a line um you know some of the artists you mentioned i could see a problem on death row um i could see uh j-rock on death row you know not even necessarily all tde artists would fit fit death row um but um you know a lot of times i think labels are revitalized and there's just no connective tissue to what they used to be you know justin being bieber being on def jam like is like the ultimate point to that so right um, you know, I hope Snoop is successful with it, and I hope he brings back a sound that really reflects what Death Row Records should sound like in the 2020s.
1: That's a good point, and that you know, I've been reading this phenomenal book. It's not out for the public, but it will be soon. Dilla Time by Dan Charnas, and he spoke. He wrote a lot about Dilla helping Erika Badu, one of your favorite artists. Um, you know, at Motown, and Motown, you know, moved to L.A. in the 70s, and you know, Barry Gordy kind of fades out of the, the the fold a little bit but there's still a tremendous meaning when you think of a soulful artist on Motown records. And I think that you can make that equation at death row. So we're saying the same thing.
0: Word, word. Um, anything else you want to cover? You know,
1: you mentioned versus on um, December 2nd. I'm excited about this one kind of sort of, um, you know, obviously there's, there's folks that are missing from the party, but uh, three, six mafia versus bone thugs and harmony on versus. I like to see uh, Midwest and I'm going to put, Memphis in the Midwest um, for that one, a Midwest battle of this kind. I think this one will draw in a lot of people. And, um, you know, obviously a lot of the three, six camp is, you know, no longer, um, you know, no longer around, obviously DJ Paul and and Juicy J most certainly are. Um, But uh, I I look forward to the celebration of that music, Um, but that's the big one. And then, and then one other thing, but do you have any, any thoughts on that one going into it?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a big Bone fan. I never really got into Three Six that much, you know. Another um, hits, but like the music never really resonated with me. So I'm not sure that this one compels me as much. But uh, I know there's definitely an audience that will be really, really uh, hot and heavy for it. So yeah, still.
1: yeah. And early Three Six, like Mystic Styles, that is so influential to like an ASAP Mob and and different folks like that. So I'm eager for it. Um, the other thing I just want to say, and I don't mean to inundate folks with bad news, um, you know, UTFO's Kango Kid has stage four colon cancer. There was an update on that. I know you're, a, you know, UTFO is is a interesting part and a critical part, maybe, of your hip-hop journey, but in a year where we've, we've lost so many, I just urge people to, uh, you know, put out good energy towards, you know, a really important MC that I think often doesn't get his due.
0: Yeah, man, uh, tough one for me. Loved UTFO back in the day. They are my first concert ever. I saw them in the community center in my hometown in the gym. Uh, you know, obviously Roxanne and Roxanne, one of the seminal records for hip-hop. Um, first famous person I ever met was Mixmaster Ice, their DJ. My cousin uh, was a DJ for the local college station, the only station that played hip-hop uh, at nighttime, um, you know, like uh, a few times a week in my hometown when I was growing up. Um, brought Mixmaster Ice over uh, I remember him sitting in the armchair in our living room and just being like just completely bugged out. But, yeah, man, shout out to Kango Kid, wishing him positive energy and for himself and his family. So
1: absolutely. I mean, apart from what we have discussed, is there any new music that you would like to highlight?
0: You know, uh, so Silk Sonic uh, came out finally. Yeah, you know, it's the, the pairing between Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack. Um, real soulful throwback music. Um, not surprising given that that's what both of them do. I think they definitely have a chemistry. Uh, in many cases, the visuals have, have landed the songs with me even more uh, once I've seen them because you really get the nuances of the songs. Uh, but that's a great project. Short, I think it's only like seven or eight songs, maybe nine songs. It's, um, But it's a, it's, a, it's a great listen. I really, really dig that.
1: Another album that came out on Aftermath, and uh, no Dre involvement as far as the liner notes I saw. But uh, it also shows why Aftermath is just on a run anymore. You know, absolutely. Um, shout out to Joel Ortiz; he put out his autograph album. Uh, I encourage anyone to check that out. I think you may be hearing more from Joel and us soon. Um, you know, just two records I'll spotlight real quick. Um, you know, you mentioned J Rock earlier, uh, mixed by Ali. Uh, you know, who was TDE's longtime engineer. And now the owner of Death Row's old studio, Can-Am, he brought his first artist to the table outside of TDE, Malik Moses. And he put out, and, and this is an artist that I had not heard of before, wasn't familiar with, but he put out his first single um, on Ali's no-name recordings and it's called Show Me Something. I've been playing this record a ton. It features Boss from Dreamville. That's the joint I sent it to you a couple weeks ago is my song of the day. And you know I love the fact that anyone's kind of down with the TD movement is very careful. And when they bring something to the table, um, you know, we see that with baby Keem and Dave free and Kendrick, like it, it sticks. It, it, it penetrates culture and sort of like Isaiah Rashad to take an artist that you haven't heard of before and, and make you care and show the quality of the music that caught their attention. It's dope. Um, You know, I'll give, I'll give another shout out to uh, your old Droog. He put out a joint called Yuri, which is produced by Nicholas uh, Craven, who's been a heavy producer with Griselda lately, and also done a lot of the records by Ransom. Uh, some of the joints on Rome Streets and Ransom's new album. I love this song. I really like the way that some of the producers in hip hop are using rock samples right now, and really kind of creating um, just a arena rock, but through the hip hop lens feel to it. And that joint Yuri, um, that's been in heavy rotation. And the last, and this one's on our playlist right now, the AFH playlist on Spotify. Is Soulless by J Tech. Um, soulless like peace, not soulless. Um, and he's an artist out of Maryland that I don't know a lot about. Um, you know, I, I've been checking for him over the years, but I can't even tell you I've read an interview. But man, he's put out uh, two or three songs this year. And, and this one has been heavy rotation. I sent it to you. You added it to the playlist, which I love to see. And uh, yeah, that's actually my song of the week.
0: Oh, word. Yeah, my song of the week is After Last Night from silk sonic featuring thundercat just a real cool throwback groove feels like 70s soul dope you know really like what these guys are doing uh two of my favorite artists independently and glad to see them come together so yeah
1: word man well this was a great discussion shout out to kanye shout out to drink champs shout out to everybody that we talked about and and uh it won't be two weeks till we do it again
0: Nah, for sure for sure All all right man peace